0: like it. Right. Greetings of the day everyone, I am privileged to welcome you all into the third edition of Orange City Literature Festival, organized by LCR Knowledge Foundation in association with GH Ryerson University, powered by Ryersoni Group of Institutions. A platform that celebrates wisdom, experiences, narratives, and notions from all walks of life. Having said that, it's thrilling to be here with you all today. I'm Amma Jagaday, delighted to be anchor for today's session. On Growing Up with Theatre by Mr. Faisal Al Ghazi in conversation with Mr. Tapan Sharma. Mr. Faisal Al Ghazi is an educationalist, theatre director, and activist. Over the past 40 years, his group, Ruchika, has directed over 200 plays in Hindi, English, and Urdu. Noor and A Quiet Desire, two plays written by him, were produced recently. He has also directed 30 films and over 100 productions for schools all over India. He has actively culminated in a book. He has written over 20 books, including Ramgiranga Manj, which has sold over 50,000 copies. He is also a counselor with Sanjeevili and in the field of disability. It's an honor to have you with us, Mr. Faisal Karni, and this gives even more delightful as we have Mr. Tapam Sharma, who will be in conversation with him as the moderator. Mr. Dapan Sharma is an accomplished revenue management and business management leader with a legacy of more than 16 years in the field of digital media, TV and radio broadcast, and telecom sector. He is currently the vice president and the head of consumer business in the leading entertainment brand, Hongava Digital Media and Entertainment Private Limited. He is a technical geek who has embraced technological advancements with open hands. Data science, big data, and digital marketing are the strengths of his educational background. A crossroad from where he initiated the journey of his professional medicine. I once again welcome you both. Also, before moving ahead, I would like to take a moment and acknowledge the support of speaking dialogue communication as their association is invaluable to OCLF. Now, my dear audience, you are about to experience a conversation with a very dynamic interactions. So, without
1: skipping a moment, I humbly invite Mr. Ittabankar to lead us Sir, please. Thank you, Omar. And uh, you gave a very long elaborate introduction to the audience about me. I'm a pretty simple guy, right? I don't need certain introduction. Mr. Qazi certainly does. He uh, has been working towards the development of society since a very long time. His, his value addition to the entire society is incomparable to what all of us uh, would have done so far. So don't introduce me in such an elaborate manner. Okay, I don't need that. Uh, thank you, Mr. Al Alkazi, for giving time to the audience. Uh, on the behalf of this festival, I welcome you as a moderator of this session. And uh, Abhay has introduced uh, you to the audience, uh, you know. I would like to understand how it all began, your journey with theatre, how it all happened. You, you told me uh, a couple of days back that you started this uh, in Bombay as a family legacy, and then it continued, and it has continued so far. How has been the journey? OK, wonderful question, Tapan. Thank you so much.
2: Uh, when I grew up in a family that was already, <coughs> my father was already a theatre director. And my mother was a costume designer. And uh, when I was born, they'd already been in this field for about 10 years, both working in Bombay and also availing of an educational kind of facility in uh, London at that time for three and a half years. So they're very, very well-trained in the kind of disciplines they were going to do. And the fun of it, I think, was that at this time, my parents were in London just after World War II, literally in 46 and 47. Uh, was a time when two other very prominent Indian individuals, the master painter Francis Newton Sousa and Nisim Ezekiel, the very well-known writer and poet from India and playwright, uh, they all lived together. So the, these three guys, they all slept in the same bed. So they'd all gone together to England on that long uh, boat journey, ship journey, over three weeks. And they stayed together. So they had trained, they'd seen things together, they'd formulated and you know, that's a very special moment, Tapan, in Indian history. Because just after independence, there was that real kind of thrill of what kind of culture are we going to create? We didn't want to just be, you know, sort of colonial, uh, pale copies of a colonial culture, but create something that was truly Indian and dynamic and modern. So I think the search in all the fields, whether it was Guru Dutt in the cinema or the kind of lyrics that Said Gudyanbi was writing, or the kind of paintings that perhaps Hossein and Souza and Akbar Padamsi and Thayam were doing, all the kind of theater work that my father initiated were all steps towards this, as were dancers and musicians who'd had that unbroken tradition. So they also called back. They were looking at Kuchipuri. Bharatanatyam had a big revival. Uh, similarly, very much in the music field, people were coming up. And new voices, new sounds, uh, new feelings an expression of nationalism in a very positive way at that point of time. So they're well into their careers, 10 years into their careers when I was born. And the year I was born, my parents moved from uh, quite an old-fashioned kind of flat in my grandmother's building in Kolaba, the older parts of Kolaba. And they moved into a bright new flat on the fifth floor, which is unusual for Bombay to have a five-story building. Now, of course, they think they're 105 stories high. So uh, it, was a, it was a large room which was built entirely without walls. where, thank God the bathroom and the kitchen had walls, but otherwise it was one large space where my father would rehearse his plays. And the fun of it was that very soon after I was born, my father asked the landlord and built a terrace on our very theater, uh, on our very terrace. So my father's theater was just a floor up, just a few steps up from where we were. And we were in a building that had no lift at that point of time. Uh, So people would walk up six floors to come and see his plays, and it was full most nights. It was a small theater, because you can imagine on each floor, there were about four flats, and the space of four flats put together. So It was an 80-seater theater, the seating space as big as the performance space, and many very contemporary Western plays uh, he directed there, like a lot of Tennessee Williams and Lorca and some of the Greek tragedies and the contemporary absurdist writers like Waiting for Godot by Samuel Beckett. So I grew up in a house where rehearsals were on all the time. My mother was making costumes. Uh, my father was learning his lines, often locking himself in the bathroom and waiting for, for we would wait for him to come out. So I grew up in quite an unconventional kind of setting. And then when I was eight years old, My father moved to Delhi to head National School of Drama. He'd been invited. But he'd say, wait a few years till I've learned Hindi perfectly and I have a good grasp of anything that can be national in that way and create a curriculum for the NSD. And then he moved here to Delhi, where I stay now. And uh, he headed the NSD. And starting with those very brilliant contemporary Indian plays, Asharka Igdin by Mohan Rakesh, which is about uh, uh, the earlier inspiration of Kali Das, the poet uh, Malika, the girl in the village, who inspires him, and then he goes away to the city. And the other play that he did was uh, Andhayog. And Andhayog is just after the Mahabharat war and the kind of devastation that has been caused. Been very interesting play. So the first play he did open air in a tiny little space in the NSD, uh, literally an angan, an open courtyard. He built a small little UP village kind of hut. And the play was played there to great success. And the other one, Andhayu, he played against the ramparts of a huge 30 foot high wall uh, in one of the many ruins that Delhi is dotted with in Ferocia Kotla. So it was a new experience for Delhi audiences uh, to see Indian writers, uh, Hindi writers uh, being performed in this kind of way and a very different kind of scale. And that was the beginning of his 14 year stint. And as I grew up watching his rehearsals and his plays, my mother's still doing the costumes at NSD, I was also part of a very vibrant theater, uh, children's theater movement with Barry John, uh, who we all know now very well as a person, and uh, created my own group when I was 17 years old. And we are now 49 years later. And the, my house is the same kind of setting, Tapan. So it's again a terrace with a theater and a lot of rehearsals. And, my kid's part of everything, so it's a different way of growing up in an artist's family, in a theatre person's family, in a musician's family, and I was—that was certainly my childhood.
1: Amazing story, amazing story. I'm sure the audience would have loved it. Uh, if we compare uh, environment of a cinema, you know, you watch uh, a produced piece of art in a theatre where you don't have access to the live uh artist performing that's called uh, you watch a movie in uh, a cinema hall uh vis-a-vis you know when a group of people perform live in front of an audience right what kind of emotions these uh artists would display because they are live performing you know in front of a very large audience and uh, audience could directly comment on them connect with them there is an emotion through an eye contact or there is there is you know, a transfer of energy through, uh, you know, people commenting when you're cheering for you. Uh, how how uh, a theatre artist would take all these gestures, remarks, you know, emotional transactions from the audience, because this is not, uh, you know, uh, available to somebody who is acting in a cinema. It's a very one-way communication in a cinema, vis-a-vis theatre. Uh, how, how would an artist you know react to these things? Well, I think
2: the touchstone for any acting is really the live performer. So you see even big Hollywood stars, they always will do a stint in cinema, and then they want their touch with the live audience responding as they perform. And I think that's the crucial part of theater. Because remember, from 300 BC, which was the birth of theater in Greece, in the world, and since then, there's always been a very strong tradition of performance. So whether in our own villages, we're performing Ramlila around the time of the Sera, or different festivals where theater is performed in so many parts of India. There's Therakutu and Bawai and Tamasha and Nautanki and so many others, to the more sophisticated or different kind, maybe one should say, more urban kind of theater space that I inhabit and many other directors do. I think we all enjoy just that. The actual live experience. I know for myself, for the last twenty months, with uh, you know the big COVID pandemic, we were not doing live shows. We were totally on this medium. We were on Zoom, doing a lot of theatre work. But we just finished some shows in Bangalore, and everybody was thrilled at Ranga Shankara coming in large numbers. Just they had missed that experience of the live experience. So for an actor and for a director, it's very very special. Because you're sharing the emotions with the audience. And I do very deeply emotional plays. So most people say to see one of Faisal's plays, better bring two hankies, one for before the interval and one for after (laughs) the interval. Or the emotions are very strong. And it's only when the actor feels it and portrays it on the stage does it reach out. Because it must reach out to every last member of the audience, not just the first few rows, but people right in the back as well. That's a big challenge. To keep your voice going and to keep the emotion going. And you realize in a theater, you get a complete silence. I just did my play on Noor Jahan, the Mughal Empress, called Noor. In, and it was dead silence in the auditorium for two hours, 15 minutes. So play Khatam Hua Tapan. And there's that dead silence. And then huge amount of applause, you know. And you know, when you get that dead silence, it's not that polite batter, ki show Khatam Hogya. Thank God, I'm ja sakte hain. But it's a feeling that it's really been something great. So somebody who didn't know me saw me and thought I must be the director. They said, "Sir, ho <laughs> I thought that's a lovely way to encapsulate that experience. You know, like in movies, sometimes you feel paise basool hogay. Yeah, it's a, very moving, hmm? it's a, so a very, very moving compliment. compliment. It's a very moving compliment. A very moving compliment. Absolutely. We said everything from the set to the costumes to the dialogues to the direction, to the acting, all like fabulous, very high class. So my actors were thrilled. They were a bit rusty. They were on stage after, you know, 20, uh, 20 months. But uh, the first show was over. They, the matinee was over and they're ready for the English show. Yep. So it's a special oh, experience. Lovely. I don't think theater will ever disappear. People often ask me that. It'll never disappear because that's just that touch. It's like saying books will disappear from the word never. Books will be replaced by Kindle, etc. Never. It's never gonna happen. Can't happen. You know? Yeah.
1: How is uh reading a play different from watching a play? Okay. What is what is what is uh, you know, uh the core difference between uh somebody who reads a play, somebody who watches a play, what kind of emotion they take away from these two things? Lovely point, Lo- lovely
2: question. I think reading is such an individual experience, isn't it? that uh, you are in touch with that particular piece and that you're reading it. And typically for all of us, Tapan, I don't think we read through a play or a book in one sitting. One very important part of a theater experience is it's shared time. The actor and the person in the audience is sharing the same time and space. Okay, And it's within those one and a half to two hours that you're going through the lives of these two characters who are enacting the story on stage. So you can read a play. But believe you me, you'll never get the satisfaction as you do when it's very well performed. Because you're going to communicate in a very different way and in different voices, in different settings, with different light situations, music, sound effects, setting. All these kind of things play a big role. So it's not just, just the words itself. You're experiencing the totality of theater in a completely theatrical space. And a theatrical space is not realistic. You know what I mean? We can do anything on the stage. We can create any kind of an illusion with very simple things and you believe that it's all happening. We did a play with a terrible murder situation and it was just the murderer and there was nobody else there. But it was a horrifying scene as he hit this guy to death and there was nobody physically there. But the audience were all sure that there was somebody being killed to death on the stage, you know, killed in the in the play. Yeah. So I think it is a very different experience reading and witnessing.
1: Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, You've been uh, at the helm of theatre in India and globally also. Uh, What are the key components of a good play? What is the composite of a good play? Okay, nice question. I think the content
2: for me is very, very important. You know, today a lot of people are starting with just improvising scripts or creating scripts with a group of actors. And I feel it's only when it's really a very well-written script. And all of us, as Indians or as people in the world, love dialogue, Bazi. Whether it's some, you know, Mukambo Khush whether it's Shodeka Kuch, Itani Admi the, these lines stick in our mind. So a theater piece has got to be very well-written dialogue-wise. And it's got to have very clearly etched characters. Often a playwright sends me a script. And everybody is speaking in the same voice. You know what I mean? In a similar syntax. The sentences are constructed the same way. That doesn't happen in real life. We have so many people we interact with who just play completely with incomplete sentences. It's always dot, dot, dot. Or people who speak with a question mark at the end. Do you think? Blah, blah, blah. Or people who end the sentence with an acha. Okay? Hmm. So to capture the complexity of languages, And we are so rich as a country with so many different languages. And to capture that complexity with the very strong content, well-etched characterization, I think, actually, as we say, the book is the beginning. The script is the beginning. If you have a very good script, half your battle is done. The second part of it, Tapan, is you have to have very good casting, people who will suit the roles or have the caliber to play the roles that are demanded of them. So often we see a shabby, a shabby production of a great play where the actor's not been able to rise to the level of a Hamlet or or even some contemporary uh, Hindi drama. They're not able to play it full out. They're attempting. It's a good attempt, but it's not well-realized. We're wanting to see well-realized characters on the stage. And that takes a lot of rehearsal. It also takes a group where people have been there together for a long time. So there's a repertory because it's within with many years of acting with the co-actor you know, uh, and taking the pulse of the audience in live shows that we build that kind of a rapport. And then there must be a director who has the attention to detail, a director who understands the subtext, which comes between the words, who plays with the emotions of the audience, who helps the actors realize themselves and not repeat something they've done in the past. So often in the movie industry we feel, oh, this guy's done the same part in some other film, this one. So every time you have to be new and afresh. So a good script with very good content, excellent dialogue, well-fleshed-out characterization, very well-mounted with everything, set, lighting, music, all perfect, and of course carried by excellent performers, very beyond competent. So often we see plays of him with competent performances, and so often we say, oh my God, what an ensemble cast, okay? How greatly every little bit of it, like in the film, I'd give an example of Gully Boy. If he had felt every single person, even if they' were there for two dialogues or in the background or some scene, just fitted in that slum where Ranveer Singh you know lived or was part of that ambiance. So to hit the right note, whether it's a contemporary play, whether it's a Greek tragedy, whether it's something tribal, uh, to hit that right note in the body language, In the stance, in the way of sitting, standing, talking, uh, gesturing, these make a big difference to the final thing. So, people should have a rich experience, uh, and then it's
1: something very good. Absolutely, no doubt about it. Uh, A theatre environment is a real time execution of an art, right? That's right. And uh, different people may perceive uh, that piece of art. In the way they want to. So, as an audience, the same piece of art communicates in a different manner, right? Uh, and also, uh, the audience uh, can be from different walks of life, and it's an instantaneous gratification mm-hmm. to the audience when the message is right? Mm-hmm. So, how can one single piece of real-time art mm-hmm. be so powerful mm-hmm. that it communicates? different messages to different audiences at the same time. How is that possible? Very,
2: very interesting question. I think, you know, for some arts, like we say, very often for a piece of music or a painting that we say in the future, maybe it'd be recognized for being how great it was. For instance, the artist, I think, Van Gogh had very little recognition in his life. And now we all think he's one of the greatest impressionists. The challenge for theater or for dance is it's in the here and now. You're going to be right here experiencing it. And not all plays are meant for all people. You know, I know that my audience is largely paying tickets between 200 and 500 rupees, is in an enclosed auditorium. So I know the kind of audience there. And of course, that suggests that to a certain extent, I tailor my plays to their expectations. People know if they come to play by me, tapan, it's going to be food for thought, ideas to chew. You know, they'll be talking about it after dinner for many days. They say your plays take us through three dinners together because we're still debating whether suicide yeah. is okay or whether blah 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 in that kind of way. As any good book or any good uh, movie or TV series, so much of what we see now on on OTT, we really it really gets us thinking in a very real way. And we know certain plays are much more popular. They're going to be seen like Atul's Pia Rupiah, which can be done anywhere. An audience will love it and enjoy it. And it will run in that kind of, uh, at a commercial level, also artistically very good. So there are theatres and theatres. There are plays and plays. And I must know who is my audience. As when somebody writes, they need to know, who is the audience they're writing for? Are they writing teen fiction? Are they writing a thriller? Are they writing something different? And I think as a result, then you uh, create your uh, your production, according to what you feel, uh, is the audience. Not to—I'm not an audience pleaser at all. Uh, people feel there's a very high; they come with very high expectations, so that's very tough. But certainly, it's always challenging up here, at a mental level, at an emotional level. The questions are very real. The questions are very challenging. You know, recently I did this Tale of Two Cities as a musical. Charles Dickens, very famous. The, you know, the novel, which is only second to the Bible in sales. Yeah. It was so contemporary. People said, this is today's world. This is that 1% who's very wealthy and the 99% who are not. So though they wore period costumes and all, it was a play about today. And the audience totally got that. Wherever I did it, they totally got it. Even when I took it to army cantonments, they got the
1: context of the play very clearly. People live... uh artists who so perform in theater they they live most of their lives portraying some character right and uh, they become the characters or what is the influence of those characters on the life of these artists I'm sure uh, you know audience will be as intrigued uh, as I am to know this that, You know, what is the impact of doing theater on the life of these artists? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And I always, you
2: know, I use that phrase that uh, these are actors. It's not reality for them. They're portraying something for you that you will perceive is their lived reality, but they are portraying it. They are not it. To play an alcoholic on the stage doesn't mean I'm going to have six drinks down. Okay, to play somebody who commits suicide on the stage doesn't mean I'll actually take a gun and put it to my head. So it's a portrayal of an emotion. It's not really the emotion itself. But so often, the emotion is overwhelming. So I know after some of my plays with very strong women characters, for instance, Mahashweta Devi's Hazar Chorasi Ki Ma, based on her novel, then it was an overwhelming thing because Sujata keeps all her emotions within herself. So whenever she went off stage, my actress Mona Chawla, she would just break down for 15-20 minutes, sobbing, weeping, by the tragedy of that story. So certainly they get overwhelmed uh, by emotion. Uh, I have no problem with that. And it, whenever there's an overwhelming emotion, it gets the whole audience going. But uh, I don't think they crack up or they become crazy as a result of it, or they disappear into a personality they play. played. I think that's more the realm of uh, you know, movies and books that have been written about actors. But they're able to play very, very, very traumatic events on the stage. And they do it you know seven, eight times a week, so they've mastered the art of uh,
1: creating an illusion of reality very interesting. Uh, you've been directing so many plays uh, for the longest of the time you know so what has been the impact of these plays on the society at large? What is the influence of these plays?: uh, I think uh, it's a great question on the yeah. general public
0: so far,
1: yeah. I think
2: uh, what has happened is, right from the beginning, as a group, we decided we'd only do theater of social relevance. And at the time, I started doing plays with the focus entirely on Indian scripts, Indian situation. Even if we adapted from the West, we were Indianizing completely. There was so much theater happening both in Bombay and Delhi, where everybody on stage was called Tom, Dick, and Harry. And it was Western mores. It was a Western culture being portrayed. That world is gone. Even in English language theater, leave alone Hindi. That world is gone. We don't see that on the stage. Okay, So the entire fabric of, of, of the theater text today is Indian, completely Indian. So many people who are only part of doing those kind of plays, Western comedies or Western bedroom comedies or sex passes and all, have switched entirely to an Indian genre of theater. And I see that as a big change. Plus, because from the beginning I've been very involved in the women's movement and issues of gender tapan, uh, people always notice that in my plays, in every play of mine, a woman has agency. She can change the situation. She's not some abla nari at all. you know. So I think also, slowly over a period of time, I've seen that big change, both in the street theater work that I've done as well, and also in my proscenium, uh, large theater uh, space productions. I've seen that the audience now does not tolerate negative, misogynistic statements about women at all. And it was not there uh, 45 years ago when I started directing. I was like, they said, you know, how strange, You, you know, you don't do a comedy because most comedies make fun of women, their body parts or how they talk or behave or like what is a woman like. And it's always derogatory. And I find the The subject matter of plays has become much more serious, topical, relevant in a way. So there is a big change. I'm one among many people who may have helped to influence or mold. But you carry on doing something with a very clear ideology. You know that you're not going to mess around in that way. And the audience comes back again and again. And actually, for me to draw an audience for 49 years regularly uh, and with no advertising, zero advertising, that's really something. And we don't perform only in Delhi. We travel
1: in many parts of India with the shows. Why is art so important to bring this society together? We are a country of diverse cultures, languages, food habits, you know, socioeconomic strata. Uh, as as somebody who has been, uh, you know, doing this art for a while now, for the entire life now, why it has become so important for people like uh, you, who are in the field, to keep passing this, you know, batten to somebody else, you know, so that they continue the good work that you have been doing and they continue to enter society. Why it's so important? And it has right. become uh, essential now because uh, uh, there's too much happening around, right? we got to influence that as well in a positive way. So what's your view on that? Okay. Well, certainly,
2: I feel, if you look back at any past cultures, you only look at the culture, isn't it? Whether it's the Ajanta and Elora, the painting and the friezes, or whether you look at classical forms of dance, our recall of the past is always cultural history, isn't it? The living tradition for us in any part of the world is the cultural history that has come from that period of time. Or we enjoy the books that have been written in the past, whether it's the Mahabharat or the Ramayana or the... Puranas or whatever, the Jataka tales, Panchatantra. I think so much of who we are as a people, and this I'm saying for people across the world, is totally based on their cultural roots. Because roots are always culture. And it's only when you have the roots and you're truly Indian in that way that you will appreciate and build and create a legacy. So I know I'm part of a legacy. I know behind me are so many people. I've written a new play, very influenced by Kali Dasar's poetry. Nagari is a very long time ago, 380, AD, you know, 400 AD, in the time of the Gupta's. So I think in each one of us, there is a continual, uh, there is a heritage, imbued not only in the food that we eat or the clothes that we wear for special occasions, or the way we live our lives or the rituals that we, uh, you know, uh, carry out, but also just in a way of thinking, of looking, of understanding uh, in the world. Uh, And I think that's very, very important. And in today's world where there's so much tumult, so much changing with social media, with so many different forms of communication, what do we hold on to? What are those values that we hold sacred or the norms that we feel are very important? I think that gives a form to our society. Culture gives a form to a uh, society. And the roles we play in making that culture, in shaping that culture, Okay, just the fact that we can no longer do theater or cinema where a woman is only a sex symbol. Even the Hindi cinema no longer does that. And how much there was of objectification of women in the 80s and 90s. If we think back, I don't want to name names, but we know the kind of films that were being made at that point of time. So that's the evolution of us culturally. We've said that is no longer acceptable. Okay. As women are now saying, it's no longer acceptable for us to be film stars and pay such a differential salary to the men who are around us. So culture finally is the mainstay of any society. It is the rock. It is the root, and we have to have those roots. So we may go abroad, we may live anywhere. We get into our car and we put on Bulah mali or you know Jagjit Singh, or we look at a cricket match, or we eat a tandoori chicken, or we smell some uh, you know incense and. They are always cultural uh, feelings, and we know we are Indian.
1: You know what I mean? That's so that- true. That's so true. Our world has been uh, overwhelmed by the uh, new age media, so maybe okay. the, the social media handles or the digital OTT player or broadcast. What is what is the uh, you know importance of a live theatre, you know, and this kind of piece of art as per you. Uh, for, for our generations to come and for our society to get benefit. Because I see, uh, the time spent, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, on, on live shows leave the past two years because of whatever natural reasons we have been through. Uh, in future, how do you see theatre competing against, you know, or, uh, sequ- securing its place? You know, uh, in this new age media world, how, how how do you see that happening? Okay. But I think, first of all, Tapan, that, uh, you know, theater will always
2: exist. And, you know, as theater people, our audiences have vastly increased. What I could do perhaps uh, almost 50 years ago for two or three shows, I can now run 16 to 20 shows of a very serious play without a problem. And I can run it not only in Delhi, but in Bangalore, Hyderabad, Kolkata, Uh, other smaller cities as well, Simla, Ranji, uh, the same play, the same production. So we know that constantly audiences are expanding. The kind of theater being done has also become very varied. So often people are doing very experimental work for 50 to 80 people. Many of us are in bigger theaters, 350 to 550. Other people are in shows which are 2,000 people at a musical or a big kind of event. So audiences are increasing. Because you can never replace that live experience, isn't it? It's like really seeing a cricket match in a stadium and seeing it. Okay, so the experience is the same. And remember, that's one kind of theater. Also, all of us are so used to traditions in India, folk traditions, where people sit up the the whole night watching the Ramlila, lakhs of people on the other uh, bank of the the Ganga in uh, Varanasi. There are 3 lakh people watching the performance. Now, whether that's religion, ritual, theater, we don't know, or maybe all three of them. But it's an experience that they want every year annually on those same dates, or around those same dates, the retelling of these stories. So it has a vibrancy of its own. And any live experience can never be replaced. As we know with classroom instruction, you and me are both people who do so much on this medium. But it's never going to substitute for us actually being back and transacting. Uh, uh, you know, a piece of uh, whatever, what, whatever fields we work in, actually with a room of people. Influence we can have in a room of people,
1: we're never going to have on this medium. That is so true. That's so true. Uh, without a doubt. Uh, we have paucity of time today. I certainly would have loved to carry forward with this, uh, you know, conversation with you. I'm so much loving it. And I'm sure the audience uh, is loving it too. But uh, we are confined, uh, you know, to our minutes that we have to spend here. So what is, you know, the message that I want to give to the audience today? Uh, those who are watching us or who will, uh, who will watch us uh, as a recording. What's your message to them?
2: I think that, you know, look out for any opportunities that you've got for live art. Whether it's a painting or sculpture, an exhibition or a live performance of dance or music or theatre. I think if you've not experienced that, and I know many people who come to my plays have never seen theater before. And they say, how did we miss this? So we're 30, 35 years old. So I think a veil of that, all of us have an experience of having done something cultural in school many, many years ago or college. But actually to experience it with good artists on stage is something that you'll remember forever. So don't miss out on that experience. And if you want to know more, of course, read the book enter stage right that I've written. Uh, I have to do a plug for that as well.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, Mr. Alkazi. It was uh, lovely speaking with you today. And uh, hopefully uh, I'll catch up with you in person someday. Absolutely. Uh, you may call when you come today. Love to meet up. Absolutely, I would I would do that. Amai, thank you so much uh, for being a good host. Thank you so, so audience, much. Audience, thank you so much for giving uh, your time to this session of OCLF today. Uh, and uh, we'll see you next. Thank yeah. you. Take care.
0: Yeah. At the outset, I would like to thank Mr. Faisal Kazi sir and Takar sir for joining us today. Wish we get to hear you both again and be equally enlightened as we all are today. And for my dear Faisal audience, I'm sure that after witnessing this conversation, you all are taking home and enriched versions of yourselves, just as I did. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Until I see you again, this is our Janev signing
1: off. Thank you. Thank you.